Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and this is my fourth attempt at recording this introduction, so hopefully this one works. So we sat down with J.P. Gulbis, John Paul Gulbis, on this episode just to catch up. Um, we're running around so much here at Rockstar. He's doing so much. We're all doing so much that we never get a chance just to sit down and chat, and he's such a great guy. I do want to chat with him, so this was a we use this podcast episode as an excuse just to sit down and catch up, so you're kind of like eavesdropping in just a conversation between us, and we go all, go all over the place because I had some questions on, on rural properties. Rural, 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 can't say the word. Country properties, properties that are outside of the city, rural properties. Anyway, JP knows about such properties, so we start talking about this stuff. JP Gulbis here, he's one of the longtime coaches here at Rockstar who works with real estate investors who buy income properties and rental properties, all types, all over the Golden Horseshoe in Southern Ontario area, um, as you'll hear him explain a little bit. But he's also into horses and rural properties. So I wanted to just ask him because more and more I'm thinking about that for myself and my family. Like, do, do we ever buy a property outside of the city here? And uh, so I had some questions. He gives us some answers. Um, I cannot speak highly enough about John Paul Gulbis, just a great guy with a good heart. If you hear about some of the testimonials from some of the investors that he works with that we get back here at Rockstar, like, I mean, it just melts your heart. Uh, the guy is just a grade A person, fantastic guy, knows real estate inside and out at this point. And on this episode, we end up talking about some crazy stuff as well. It starts going into some cold shower and immune system and liver detox and um, bulletproof coffee stuff at the end there as well. So we, we just kind of have this meandering conversation Hopefully you enjoy it. A little bit of a different episode, but I really enjoyed my chat. And listen, if you're listening to this and you are thinking about investing in real estate, and this could be your year, and you want to learn what we're doing here, if you're a beginner, experienced, advanced investor, and you want to check out what we're doing, the best way to do it is to come to the free class that we offer. You can register for that class at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. So CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. And the reason that we ask you to register for that class is our training room can only handle a certain amount of people, and that class is packed every time we do it. So you need to register. That helps us out a lot. So you can do that at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. It's a 90-minute class. Nick and I are both there. We stick around after the class to answer every question, all questions that you may have. We have a great time doing it. Um, and you can register for it at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. So let's get on talking about rural properties with JP Gulbis. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. I'm here with the uh, the model, the horseback expert, um, many, the real estate investing uh, extraordinaire superstar, John Paul Gulbis. Howdy. And JP, I need to, you know, the, the, you're driving this car now. I thought you drew, drove diesel, but you're driving diesel now because diesel is not that much cheaper than gas. You were just telling me you, you got this new car and it's diesel. Why did you go diesel? I don't get it. Uh, it's more efficient. It still is. Yeah. So, um, even now you could have got some hybrid thing that's going to go about, yeah. It's yeah. Still, so you're going to get more kilometers. Like one tank, you're going to get what? 800 kilometers. Okay. So there's a multiple layers to why, uh, I bought that particular car. It wasn't cause it was diesel. It was because, um, I could pull my little horse trailer with it. It has okay. 300. So tell them what, what car is it? It's, a, it's just a little, uh, Mercedes GLK. You felt like embarrassed to say Mercedes. Well, I mean, that's fine. I I didn't buy it because of that. I bought it because I could pull my horse trailer and I can get 
a ridiculous amount of kilometers when I'm not, which is I don't pull very often. What's ridiculous? Like on the highway, uh, I can average 6.1 liters per 100 kilometers. 6.1 liters per 100 kilometers. And how many, so how? What, what's the size of your tank? I'm trying to do math in I my head. I don't know. So how many size, kilometers are you going to get into your tank But right if now? I was to do straight highway, it would be... You can going over a thousand. Oh, like twelve hundred, thirteen hundred. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. So that's worth it. Yeah. And okay. and so should it, probably look into these things a little bit. <laughs> well, again, the only the reason I got it was I wanted all wheel drive. I wanted a small SUV. I didn't. I, I'm a tall person. I found that after driving a small SUV, getting in and out of a car, I didn't I like. Know, right? I didn't like it. Dude, maybe you're just getting old. I guess, yeah. I got into Nick's car the other day. I'm like, oh my god, I have to like, I'm just using my arms to push myself up. I'm like, what is this? Yeah, and 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 again, it just with the amount of driving. Like after this, I'm going to London. You know, so on the highways, like it's London, brutal. Student rentals. Uh, this is actually a single family home. Uh, we're doing the walkthrough, and then he wants to talk about um, just this will be his first one. So he wants to talk about you know his marketing and getting it going. So. Um, see the car thing, the diesel thing makes sense though, because when I got this, uh, so this one that I'm driving is an X five and, uh, I got the hybrid just for the green plates, but on a full charge, it's ridiculous. It's 30 kilometers. Like if I turn the gas option off, I think I've, oh, I can't okay. remember if I've told you this, it's 30 kilometers total. Right. That's all you get yeah. on one charge. Like I shouldn't be even having these green plates on my car. Yeah. But uh, but it doesn't work that way, right? You're supposed to use it in this hybrid mode. So it just kind of kicks you off a red light when you're at a standstill. You kind of are full electric until you hit about 50 kilometers an hour. Yep. And then gas kicks in. And the, and the torque off the electric is really nice. Oh, it's huge. It's, yep. it's great. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when you're on the highway, sometimes coming off the highway, you'll see it kind of kick back in and stuff. Um, but once you're over 50 driving down the highway, you're using gas and that yep. whole bit. So it's kind of on and off. And I find I'm getting a little bit more to my tank, but not that much. Like the biggest benefit is the green plate. So I can selfishly drive on the HOV lane <laughs> with my gas guzzler with the green plates on it. Yeah. So, uh, okay. But yeah, so it was just a, a combination of things that just met everything that I wanted in a small, efficient package. That was really it. And I can pull my little horse trailer. Um, there's loads of torque. Not a ton of horsepower. It's only got 200 horsepower, but the torque. So how many horses? One horse? Two horses? The trailer? Yeah. It's two horse. Two horse. It's a small little German trailer, so it's designed for little European cars because okay. they don't have big trucks in And Europe. where are you pulling the horses around to? I'll pull them from, from where they're stabled to maybe when we go you know, to our trainer's uh, stable or to the horse shows or to... yeah. Okay, got it, to the yeah. shows. Okay. Yeah. But you're training them sometimes not at the location they live? Uh, most of it is done there. Cause and you're then, dealing with privately owned horses where people will hire you to come and help them out with their horse. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's been a win-win where they've, are you like the Batman of horse no, trainers? You're no, the, no, you're no, the no, horse no, whisperer? No, 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 no. This is really just, uh, you're it, a pretty, it, mo pretty modest guy. So I never really know. No, like I would, if I was a professional making money off this, I would, I would admit it, but no, it's not. It's just, there's a you know, met some nice people that have some nice horses and the need is they need to do something with them and, you know, we have a good relationship with them. So they're like, okay, well we want to do something with them and we need good horses to ride. So it's a win-win and, and, um, you know, it's not perfect, but it, it's, it's good. And we did, we did get two of our own now. Um, but they're young, so it'll be, it'll be a long so time. So these are two that you own? Correct. Oh my God. They're going to eat your money. They all eat my money. Yeah, yeah. 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 Holy smokes! You, I, I don't think I knew that, or maybe I knew you had they, one. I don't they, feel like I knew we, you had we two. We just got them before. And so, uh, where like are you December. keeping these things? 
Um, w- one is in, things like they're not <laughs> uh, one is in Niagara. Okay. Uh, and and then one is just uh, between London and Woodstock, and then we're going to be swapping them out uh, actually Sunday after the member event. And so you're riding them, and you're going to take them to shows and stuff. Those two, I haven't we haven't ridden yet. The one in in kind of Woodstock, he's just been started. They're both young. They they so the the one. So has, you're going to flip these horses, like you're going to raise the them one and we sell might them? the one we might sell, yeah. Uh, okay. And then the other one, we'll see how they both turn out. You know, it's it's hard to. It's hard to gauge what they're going to be. They're both very well bred, so they should be very good at whatever it is they do. Um, one's a little bit small, so I don't know, but they're—I don't know. We'll we'll find out. You know, it, it their their brain is actually one of the most important things. You know, so if they don't have a good brain, then it's and hard you to can do. test that by the way they pick up your training. Uh, yeah, how they behave, how they pick up the training. Um. There's there's multiple things because there there isn't really one um, one uh, you know you can have a horse that's very difficult in the beginning but they end up being like the the Olympic gold medal horse because they were so difficult but there was something about them that was you know they were yeah they were just stubborn and then once you got them trained yeah, they were stubbornly good exactly yeah. they're kind of freakish but more difficult where if you have like something that's real push button and real easy they may not have the heart to really get to the big stuff, you know? So yeah, got it. Yeah. Hearing you say this is my aunt, uh, or our aunt in Croatia uh, passed away last week. And this aunt uh-huh. really took a, yeah, she was really special to us too, because she was one of, uh, our father's sisters who really taught us just about different animals. And she took care of all the pigs and the chickens and, and the cows. And, and uh, I remember seeing how they would meet, you know, they would mate the bull and the cow over there. Like they literally, what happened there is they would tie the cow to a, a tree. I mean, this sounds so barbaric, but they would tie the cow to a tree with a rope that was maybe 10 feet long and the cow would just like run in a circle. They would then they would bring in the best bull and they would, you know, try to make the bull, you know, mount the cow and produce a baby. And I remember seeing that watching that all go down as a 10 year old, like the whole village comes together and the cows tied to the tree running in a circle and this big bull like mounts the cow. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, like this is this is in Canada anymore. (laughs) You know what I mean? But I remember also that. Of one of these things going back, you know, year after year, one of these babies was a, a, a bull and, and grew into a great size bull. And my aunt sold the bull like we walked all day to a market. This is also why I, I freak out when my own kids can't go five minutes in a car without water, because I, my aunt and I walked with the bull on the side of the road all like it took us half a day to get there to the market. Yeah. She would then sell the bull. Um, and I always thought that was interesting because, uh, sometimes she would sell the bull and then buy a calf or something. She needed a smaller animal. Um, and we'd walk back with it and then she'd have extra money. And I remember thinking, Oh my God, like this is how she's making money. Like she's producing this animal and then she's like walking down, selling it. Sometimes she keeps all the money. Other times she uses the money to buy a small little female and then walks back home with it. And it would take us all day. Like we would leave at like, I don't know, six, seven in the morning and come back six, seven at night. And I remember walking with no water and like, I don't know, I feel like it was like 30 degrees. I guess this can't be accurate, but I feel like it, it was 30 degrees each way. And I don't remember stopping for any water. So I always tell my kids, like, I don't understand why we're in the car for five minutes and we need to stop for water. Anyway, <laughs> JP, this is, this is I'm way off track. But uh, no, no. It, it, but so, yeah, I didn't realize it, it was kind of early on. I realized, oh, my gosh, you can profit from animals in this way. Like I had never known that. 
I thought you raised what I had seen before then was you raise them and I was always mesmerized by the pigs because I would see the the men in the village go in and you know one pig would feed a whole lot of people and the whole village would come together when they would the pig was fully mature they would take the pig and obviously kill it and then they would the whole village kind of worked on that pig yeah. taking every part of the pig intestines were used for sausages the blood was drained and we were eating blood pancakes i know it sounded gross mm-hmm. um every part of the animal and like one animal could feed so many people it yeah. wasn't everyone not everyone was just using looking for pork chops or whatever right yeah. there was the prosciutto made out of it like there was so much and it just i was always amazed by that aspect of raising animals I had never seen like the buy and sale and like, you know, make the female pregnant. If it produces a good bull, you can sell it for profit. And yeah. uh, just looking back, I'm like, oh my God, my family used to flip bulls. You know? Well, that's <clears throat> that's the beef industry, basically. Yeah, you I know? guess. Yeah, and yeah. I saw it at this mini small scale. Yeah. But, uh, but you're right. I guess growing up in the city or growing up in a suburb like Mississauga just wasn't really in tune with that here at a big yeah. scale and seeing it over there. Um, but Nick needs Nick's daughter is into horseback riding. She just got in. You know, know this, right? Because yeah. I think she just went bareback um, and held the mane. I understand you can't hurt them on the mane and stuff like this. So you really need to sell Nick an expensive horse. This is my whole <laughs> goal of him, his daughter. Whenever I see her, I'm like, hey, has your dad bought you a horse yet? Like, what do you mean you have to go and use the horse that's there? You, got, you should own your own horse. <laughs> So this is my way of getting him to spend money and just seeing his face that every <laughs> oh, time I trust say that. Me. Yeah, it's a it's a never ending pit. Yeah. It's it's not really a money making venture, at least at the on the low level. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a passion, that's about it. So what uh, what I wanted to talk to you about was uh some properties around Toronto, mm-hmm. uh some of the rural properties, mm-hmm. um, and price point stuff. Um over the holidays I drove from here up to Blue Mountain, go through I love I just love that area. I'm looking around at some of those properties. And I, I can't remember what you said last time. Where I screwed uh, up, yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know what you screwed up or you did or didn't screw up, but what? give me an idea on price. Like if I want to buy something outside of Toronto, paint me the picture on price points that I'm going to... Yeah, so so it's really going it, to... I know last time you had said, okay, you know, halfway between here and, and, and calling. Yeah. You know, so <clears throat> you, it sort of threw me off because I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm picturing Tom's house in Oakville and putting it in the country on X number of acres. And it was such a specific thing that it threw me, but no, you can get, you know, let's say Dufferin County is probably right smack dab in the center. Um, You know, it's going to range from a million to 4 million, depending on what you want on condition of the home, you know, whether it's new square footage, how many acres. So there's going to be a huge range. Uh, Can you get something over 10 acres for less than 2 million? A hundred percent. 100%. 100%. You can get a really nice house for, you know, let's say 1.5 and it could be upwards of 50 acres depending. There's so there's there's nothing that's specific. There's a lot more sort of, you know, um variances in what you could be looking for that that will determine the price as well. And then so, so how are we tra- how are we finding these properties? Like are they all is it like MLS realtor.ca? Mm-hmm. You everything's going to be listed because I find when I look through some of those properties, I just get kind of confused. The pictures are sometimes just a barren land, or you just see the house. I don't get a good idea, but that's still the best way to track all these things. Yeah, well, there there's certainly going to be pieces of land that are um, whether they're agricultural land where you have the ability to build one house on it or make some sort of agricultural improvement like an outbuilding or something, or if it's already a developed uh, residential property um, that has a house on it and but it, it could be 
the rest of the land could be farmland. It could be conservation land. It could be many things. Um, but most of that's all on the listing. Yeah. There's not, there's no secret to it. Okay. I didn't know if it was like, so commercial real estate or apartment building specifically in Ontario, it's such an old boys club. There's no central database for anything. It's more just the older commercial real estate brokers who know who's selling and buildings are sometimes just sold with somebody tapping someone on the shoulder saying, Hey, look, I'm going to sell my 16 unit in Kitchener. If you have the buyer, here's the price. And it's just traded much more privately than residential real estate. Yeah, th- and I th- didn't know th- if this land actually, or rural properties is kind of like no. that. No, so so what you're describing is definitely an old boys club because it happens at a more local level. When you start to deal with um, some of these bigger estates, they're you're gonna the 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 higher price point you're gonna start attracting international buyers. So depending on where you are, like you know, uh, even north of Toronto, um, at some of these even sort of like York region you know, some of these racing stables and things like that, you're going to have some international clientele that might be looking at a property like that. So someone from where? Someone from anywhere, Germany, Saudi Arabia, anywhere are buying around here. Um, I'm not saying that, 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 that is who's buying, but, yeah, but that it's could a, a be a definite possibility. Oh, 500%. Okay. And then yeah. how much more am I paying for a house on acreage? You pick the number, but with some kind of stable or bar, what am I talking? It, it really depends. Uh, depends on the condition of everything. Uh, depends on the condition of the barn, the stable, the, the, all the improvements. It will really depend on what state they're in, what the use is going to be, how much they need to be upgraded, renovated. Are they brand new and turnkey and what a modern facility would someone would be looking for so they're going to come with a higher price tag um but then it also um will depend on the home that's on it as well is yeah it, sure okay the home know, makes sense what is a uh, but what i don't understand is what is a modern barn or stable what's the language barn state no stable for horses must be stable. same thing okay yeah, what does yep. a modern one look like because the one i was okay because the one i was in in ohio probably like six months ago i went to one in ohio the picture of you and dan kennedy dan kennedy yeah, that was looked there. like an old it was old yeah like yeah. i mean those those horses were in there yeah. and i guess they were all being taken care of really well so but that was the what what kind of racing those did are do? standard breads so those are um like trotting horses so they pull the little carts and yeah that's right yeah, yeah so yeah i mean that like there's a there's different um just like in in show horses there's sort of different levels of of um there'll be different tracks with different levels so for example there's 40 racetrack for thoroughbreds and then there's woodbine if you have a, a good horse you're going to want to take it to woodbine uh, if it's a horse that's f- maybe failed at Woodbine, but still has something left in it, you might try it at Fort Erie. So there's, there's different levels yeah, okay. of, you know what I mean? Like it's just, <clears throat> and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's the same with the, 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 the show horse community. There'll be different circuits. So there's like, so for example, Nick's daughter is just starting out. So that would be like a very like green level competition if she was to go in it like a beginner level and then there would be like a b level which would be like a provincial type of level and then there would be what would what we would call the a circuit which is the the national circuit um and it doesn't mean that you're going to compete uh in different locations nationally even though a lot of riders do and they actually do international but those those events um they they actually 
have the, the higher level competition that where international riders would be competing for points. So it could be for a World Cup or something like that, or points to go to the Olympics or that kind of thing. So there's, it would be like hockey, like junior yeah, B, it sounds junior exactly a, you know, the same thing. You know, so it's, I'm same. blind to it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, that barn I was in was, uh, yeah, pretty beat up, pretty old. What, what's a modern barn look like these days? Like that didn't even have heat, I don't think, in it. It you can you can go as fancy and as crazy as you want. Like So some people like, around Toronto are going super fancy? Oh yeah. You should see some can of the racing some? stables like really? in King City. Like, oh my god, like like just massive, like everything is like timber, wood detail, like big huge heat lamps and the like you know, rubber flooring throughout like everything is just super high-end prash uh or, or uh, polished brass like stuff like yeah i mean as as luxurious you want to make it yeah, yeah um, i guess because i'm not in that world i don't yeah. think anyone would spend money yeah on that. but do you need it no <laughs> yeah you know. got it okay but you don't want something that's run down either it just depends on what you're doing. Okay, you know? and then what's yeah. a, you said standard bread. What's a standard bread versus uh, what? So a standard bread is a horse uh, that's bred for trotting, like Dan Kennedy does, and then a thoroughbred is something that's bred to gallop, like they do at Woodbine. So like the Queen's Plate and the Kentucky Derby and you know the big stuff. Okay, um, you don't get quite as big money in the standard breads. Uh, as you do with the, the yeah. thoroughbreds. I can't even imagine being behind like 10 horses on that little cart that they ride on with the two oh, wheels. <laughs> like feeling like if I fell off on that thing, he told yeah. me that he got trampled once yeah. and he was in a wheelchair for a little bit. And yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, you still do this? You think that's crazy. That's nothing. You should just, one time when you're looking for something to get sick over, watch the Grand National in uh, in England and it's a steeplechase. So that's thoroughbred racing, but it's steeplechasing. And I mean over the it's basically around a grass track with these with the steeple with the steeple. so like so with the water behind the it's basically a huge hedge of brush and then like there's a pack of like probably like 50 horses that jump over it and as they all jump over within the first jump probably five have crashed and people are it's just a tangle of mess and bodies and people die horses it's just brutal they're still it's, running this today man i don't even know how they get away with it but yeah they're doing it what's it called <laughs> the grand national holy shit yeah. i had no idea yeah. It's pretty rough. It's pretty rough, but it's big. It's still big over there in Europe. And, and, st and standard bread and thoroughbred. Is there another mm -hmm. one that, that I'm missing? For race horses, uh, well, there's endurance races, and uh, typically you're going to see a lot of Arabian horses, which where um, a lot of uh, most horses originate from Arabian and Iberian horses, which are Spanish, Portugal, and and um, and basically the Middle East. That's where they developed more modern breeds you could argue that maybe like on the mongolian steppe or somewhere in russia you had these little hardy little rough things that that's where it really started but yeah modern day pretty much started in the middle east and and uh the iberian peninsula and then for jumping horses or show Europe. jumping that's a totally different breed yeah. yeah so that's when you took the draft horses from the middle ages and then to make a good war horse they would breed them with these uh finer uh, hotter horses when i say hot i mean really excited like something built for speed and fast lighter so that would be your arabian your more thoroughbred arabian type horse or or the spanish breeds then they would mix it with like a plow horse and then you would get something that was a nice mix so like an suv basically you're not getting the biggest like dump truck and you're not getting a ferrari but you're getting a really like capable suv you know like the I don't know what's that like the G class or something. That's basically what you're getting. So 
what that does is it, it gives you a horse that's big enough to carry uh, a man with armor into battle, but still be agile enough to move around in battle. So you're, you know, you're not pulling the cannon with it, but you know, you're not going to win a race on it either, but it's, you're, you're going to crush some people. Yeah. Sometimes I think I know a lot of shit and then I hear you talk about this stuff and I realize how little I know about yeah. anything. I swear this is like all brand new information to me. I don't even know about this race in England, all these different types <laughs> of horses, rural property. Like uh, I, I know about going to farmland in, in Europe, yeah. but like rural properties up here, clueless, septic yeah. tanks, all that kind of stuff. Clueless. Are you dealing with all, so on the rural property stuff, are you always dealing with septic tanks? Uh, Pretty much. Is I there mean, a ch- oh, so give me the checklist. Someone listening to this that wants to buy something. Okay. Well, here's a good segue. So uh, I think last time uh, I gave the the URL of um, uh, landentitle.com. It's just a it's just our website. Uh, unfortunately, we've we've changed our hosting, so it's down right now. However, if you go to um, well, you have gotta, notes. Oh, you have damn notes. Damn right, I do. Uh, where is it? I know I wrote it down. Niagara. Oh my God, Amy's going to kill me. Oh, here it is. Thecountryhomeguide.com. Amy's been taking the reins on this one. Um, That is basically going to be all sorts of information on if you want to go buy a property. It's like your guide to buying a rural or country home. You guys have put this together? Yes. Thecountryhomeguide.com. Yeah. Okay. Thecountryhomeguide.com. Okay. And that's a checklist. It's it's beyond a checklist. It's um, basically what it is, is you've got uh, price ranges of, of different properties in different, like basically we, we broke it down to the 10 sort of top uh, regions in Southern Ontario. So from price ranges to a map of where that region is to community information and then all sorts of things from, you know, how you're gonna live on the property with services and things like septic and water, um, things to know about conservation easements all that kind of stuff um and so basically it'll get you started and it'll give you a ton of things to think about and consider uh and then of course from there when you want to buy something then just call us what about the what about the financing options on it yeah so financing is going to be um and the reason i'm asking all this just and i don't know if i'm getting old uh i am turning 46 um, but, uh, and everyone seems to be telling me all of a sudden that, that, you know, 46 is for, you know, you're starting to get old, but uh, I just don't feel, I just still feel like I'm in high school, <laughs> but, um, uh, more and more, I just want to have a property where I can open my front door completely naked and nobody sees me. Sure. Like I just, that's like a dream to me. Yeah. Whereas like you can't and in Oakville where no. we're living now, you, I, I just want to open my door. Yeah. And not that I'm going to do this for anyone listening thinks I'm some kind of weirdo. It's not like I'm going to do this, but I just want the ability to. You know, like I just want to know that I can, you know, I don't want to always just, just people all over me. And uh, I don't know why exactly that is, but um, I just wouldn't mind getting a property somewhere in Ontario that just got a little bit of land, a little bit away from the city. Yep. Maybe I'm not even there all the time. Sure. You know, yep. and we did talk about this one time that I, I really think we need to start the Rockstar Barn where we totally. buy a piece of land. We have a big ass barn on it with a big rock star logo on it. We have our Christmas parties there. So we have big barn parties because barn parties are the way to go. You have a big barn party, but then we also have beautiful gardens where you can grow tomatoes and cucumbers and stuff. We have some animals there. We have a little crew kind of managing the property. We all get to use it and grow grow our food there together. We raise some animals, some that we can eat, some that we can kind of train. You can kind of train stuff. I just feel like this is a great opportunity. I'm in. I know. I know you are. (laughs) Um, But so that's why I'm interested in the financing. Is it just like 
re- residential buying a property here or like how high it can what be. loan to value are the banks going to go to on this stuff it, no it can be it can be 20 percent. it really depends on on how the property is zoned and then how big the property is so um if it's if it's zoned agricultural and has a house on it then you're going to potentially need to go to uh it's Actually, you don't need to go to a specific lender. You could go to, say, Farm Credit Canada, you know, is one lender that deals in farms. I've never even agri- heard of Farm Credit Canada. Yeah, they're probably like the the big sort of like we have the big, you know, the big five, you know, yeah, banks. Yeah. They're like the big one for ag. So for farmers and people that need um, loans on large pieces of equipment that cost a quarter million dollars, like they will help huh, finance okay. that kind of stuff. Um, but you can also get those financing from traditional banks too. You just have to go to the right person at that bank. So you'd go in or you'd, you'd do some research online and say, okay, who who handles large farms, let's say, or agricultural properties at Scotiabank? And you would find out who that is. Um, so, uh, but Farm Credit Canada, there's one in every town. So, you know, you can you could start there if you want. Um, and then you can, you know, see who might be the best fit or who's going to offer you the best sort of product for what you're looking for. But for what you're looking for, you probably don't need it. Like I sold a friend of mine, 23 acres, uh, and sometimes, and some of it was agricultural land. And so some bank is going to look at that and go, well, we'll only finance what we feel the value is on maybe up to 10 acres as just your little playground with the house. But the other 13, because it's ag land, we're going to we're going to look at that differently and then you're going to have to either pay cash for that portion or come up with 50% of that or some some variation of how they want to structure it so there's not really one one you know one and shoot how so, do they define if it's agricultural like the, it's just at their discretion they're well, like okay z- this zoning is- has a lot to just like you're buying a, a, a like a multi unit okay property. so one 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 parcel of land can be zoned differently on that parcel because it's big enough so part of it could be zoned residential uh part of it's agricultural well the the z- generally speaking when you have a, a chunk of land that's zoned agricultural you're allowed to put a house on it okay, okay. one house well depends it depends on what the bylaws are for that piece yeah, of land. Okay, so you okay, got to okay, check like out the city, okay, you know, because yeah. a lot of places like let's, let's say these, these mega ranches in the West, you've got the owner's home, which is like the, the estate home or whatever. And it could be gigantic and it could be some absentee owner, you know, that lives in LA or New York or whatever. And they only visit. However, it's like a, 15,000, 20,000 acre ranch that has full-time staff. So they have to live somewhere. So they have other homes on the property for the staff. So it just depends on the property. I mean, that's the extreme, but, um, even horse farms, they have staff, uh, you know, staff accommodation. So so. your buddy who bought this, why did he buy it? Man, we, we had our eye on this property for a while. Uh, is it agricultural land that he bought? There, yeah, it, so it used to be uh, a, th- a thoroughbred um, racehorse training um, farm uh, that, you know, the, the, the improvements on that were since demolished. It was probably in the 60s or something, the 70s. Um, and then so a big, a big chunk of the land was was rented out to a farmer who had was cycling soy and corn and different things. So um, they they bought it. 
but the financing with with that property the bank allowed them um, just to do traditional residential financing so again there isn't like a one hard rule it depends on the lender and depends on what they sort of see how they feel about the property now that property is right on the edge of town so they may have felt that um, it wasn't too far removed it wasn't too big like there was some things that they were comfortable with just financing it as a resident which property. town where's this one so it's right at the edge of um, where you're probably not going to be familiar with the little um, I guess enclaves in okay, the Niagara region but basically where um, St. Catharines meets um, Pelham meets um, Lincoln so it's right at the top of the escarpment um, and it kind of overlooks St. Catharines and it's a beautiful spot. You got a steal on it. Right, this was um, just before St. Catharines took a, a huge upswing. upswing. Yeah. So how um, much did he pay for this? Oh Can you, did you want to tell us? How many acres? 23. Um, what did he pay? 490000 No. Yeah. No. I know. How many years ago? Um... I don't remember exactly. 23 but acres for yeah, 490000 And what's on it? There's a house on it? A house. There was a big... Like, JP, when are you buying something I know, like this? I, if the timing was... What is, so what s- is something like that selling for now? Oh, I'm sure it's doubled already. Yeah. 490000 Yeah. Because he, 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 he redid... He's, he's improved the house. Um, he's improved the outbuilding, which was basically just a big two bay, like shop garage. Um, and then he planted, I think two or 3000 trees. He took over one of the fields and then he still rents the one to a farmer and then he planted like 3000 trees. It's right on the edge of the escarpment. So you've got the Bruce trail running through your backyard pretty much. Like, it's just amazing. Like the, the property was, Dude, you are so due to buy something like this. Like I know prices have gone I know, up, I know. but you're going to have to buy something like this. Well, there, I have my eye on a, a piece of land, uh, in Alberta, uh, it's 150 acres. And apparently there's deals going on in Alberta right now. Well, Did you listen to this, Pierre Paul when he yeah, came on? But this, so the, getting back to, you were talking about um, farmers or ranchers in this, in this case. Um, I was out in, in uh, Alberta and BC with, with Amy and, and some of her family in the fall. And we stayed at this, at this one ranch. And Whenever I think I mentioned, whenever I go to these places, I ask a gazillion questions. So I wanted to know, okay, when did your family buy the property? How much did they buy for, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I, I, her, her grandfather bought it in the mid fifties or sixties. I think it was the mid fifties. Anyways, it was about, it's about 65 years. It's been in the family. They own 2,300 acres on the the eastern slope of the Rocky Mountains. So you go over the first set of foothills and then their backyard is literally the Rocky Mountains. Boom. It's just this huge like just valley Beautiful. that goes up and then the mountains are like oh literally in their backyard. It was it's stunning. I said, "Okay, so what did they pay for it?" He said or she said, "$10 an acre." Right? There's 150 acres and those are called quarter sections and there was one just up the road for her for Four hundred and what was it? Four hundred and fifty thousand or something like that. So it was ten dollars an acre sixty-five years ago, and now for one hundred and fifty acres, it's four hundred and fifty thousand. And this is just grazing land. There's no improvements on it. Maybe a fence, and that's it. So I did the math on that, and I was like, that's gone up like over two hundred times in value in sixty years. That's just insane, you know. Uh, so, I mean, you look at this type of stuff and you have to look at it like, um, 
like I would say, like an apartment building, you know, it's not the quick in, quick out. You have to have like sort of a longer term. Yeah, yeah. And it's not really producing apartment buildings producing income. Right. This so this isn't would even be producing income. No, it'd be grazing. I, I guess land. it could be. Yeah. So but are you producing what, how much money you're making off grazing land? Well, that's that's what, just what, it. you open that up to farmers. So they yeah, you cattle on it. Yeah. You'd rent it out to a rancher okay. who would lease the but land. Paying you probably peanuts. No. It, yeah. Would, okay. Would it, okay it, but there's something there. There is some potential for income. It, it's really the value of the land. Yeah. At the yeah. end of it. And I know we touched on this before, but when you get in these spots where it's just super beautiful and picturesque. It really. Like, I can see it yeah, in you. You're moving yeah. to Alberta. <laughs> You're not going to be doing anything here. You're going to be moving to Alberta. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you've talked we, about different yeah. things on and off yeah. enough that yeah. you're going to be moving to Alberta. But that comment okay, you yeah. said about the land that that really kind of freaks me out is that, um, yeah, the land hasn't changed, but the price has changed. Like this brings me back to when I freak out about the value of the dollar. Yeah. And how much we lose value. You know what? It just oh, that just freaks me out because nothing has changed about the land. Yeah. But our currency goes down in value so much that yeah. you hear these things and you're like, holy smokes. Yeah. It just, it completely freaks me out where it's like nothing has changed on that land. They didn't, have they developed anything with that land? Uh, they put like another grazing, house on it. And okay. Yeah, but I mean, okay, so there has 2,300 acres. Yeah. So it's like, it's yeah. a small, in, in, Yeah, so you know, percentage wise, they've not made any tiny. change, but the, yeah. the dollar value of that has gone yeah. up so much. Yeah. Freaks me out, which makes now, me just think that the, the, now well, they're, they're grazing cattle. So cattle is a commodity. Beef is a commodity. So the value of cattle has also gone up. Like the cost of a steak has gone up, right? But the guy who really makes a lot of the money is the middleman. It's not really the rancher. So it's a lot of these ranchers are getting pushed out because of the, the price of the land has gone up so much. It's very difficult for them to um, expand because it's very expensive to buy good land to graze cattle well, who's on. Who's their competition for this land? Like who's a, who else is bidding up the land in Alberta. Rich people. Just they want the land. Yeah. Shit, I would want the land too. Exactly. Right? So so it it's like at the end of the day, he who owns the land. Why do we always right? want this shit? Because we're all just going to die anyway. Why do we want this stuff? Because I just want to <laughs> open my door and see the Rocky Mountains yeah, naked. <laughs> yeah. So if you think about like, it, and I asked them, I said, well, how many cattle are you running on this? And I think they said like 90 head. Like it's, it's, it was probably half of the capacity they could have. They could have had a lot, a lot more. And, um, and you know, and I think she said it's like the, the, I don't know if it was the net income or the growth. I didn't, I can't remember the detail, but it was about 90 grand. I figured that she probably made a year or something. So they're not, they're, they're land rich. The, the ranch is probably worth $15 million yeah, or something. And no you know one, no one can refinance no. this piece of land. So no. they, if they want to get it, they're basically selling it or selling a chunk of and it. And that's the challenge. Then when you get into estate planning, because, uh, you know, the government only allows you to do certain things and, and I'm no expert on this, so I'm, I'm not going to go, I don't know a lot no, but about it. The thought. But, yeah. So it's very expensive when, when you have an inheritance tax. So you have to be very... Uh, like if your land is worth $15 million, but you make $90,000 a year for you to be able to pay the tax to hand it down yeah, to your children it. Okay, is yeah, extremely yeah. difficult. So a lot of these ranchers get wiped out. We're bringing in our accountant actually next Saturday. This is why we're bringing them on. So I'm not sure when you're listening to this, but yeah. one of our events, we're bringing out our accountant to talk about how you hand down properties and land because it is complicated yeah. in Canada and there is no magical perfect way to do it so you can get as tax efficient as possible yep. but uh it's pretty much a disaster it, it is and, and the, one of the nice things um that you can do that the government would help you out with is is hand it over to a cons conservation easement which will allow you to minimize the tax burden 
because or you put it into a land trust so in perpetuity it's never developed and so the government um gives you uh, basically uh you know applauds you for that and gives you tax breaks to do that so that's how a lot of people are doing it so they can continue to use the land and continue to use it in their family but they they don't they can sell it but it ha- they're not able to subdivide it they're not able to do different things i mean of course, there's going to be cases where they are allowed to do certain things, but it's a lot more stringent. So I feel like we ways. need uh, more Alberta people on here because you're so and you're telling me in uh, in Alberta, cattle ranchers are getting priced out because people are bu- buying these. It's not just in Alberta; it's just the ranching yeah, no, industry it's everywhere. In yeah, or yeah. farming business in general. You know, now I mean, okay, so true local. You know, um, you yeah. You're did you see, listen to that episode? Uh-huh, I, I thought it was great and. Um, you know, so I love what they're doing. Oh, it's great. I mean, they yeah. go and they're basically supporting local farmers totally. who don't have to do the marketing, don't have to do the work. The farmers keeps doing what they're doing. True local yep. gets the meat. It's packaged by the farmer. They're basically the middleman. Yeah. You select what cuts you want. Yep. I love it. Yeah. Like I think it's so, so that that sort of like small scale farm where it's more like more like a boutique farm where you get all the grass fed stuff. There's, I think that's going to grow, but I don't know how it's more of a lifestyle than a lucrative. You're not going to get super rich off of it, you know, but it's a lifestyle. So you, you know, you have fun doing it, you know, I feel people doing it are doing it for the lifestyle. Correct. Yeah. Like more and more, sometimes I think I could just go back somewhere and be a farmer, live in a village and like, what are we doing running around like crazy people? I, you know, I agree that, that that's the ultimate goal in my mind is just to yeah like <laughs> scale I could totally down, see you, you know? on a piece of land yeah. just raising your cattle training some uh, the, some horses the, the challenges I've, I've I was I was cursed with loving uh, show horses which are it's one of the most expensive sports you could possibly get in so like as much as I would love to just live a simple life uh, in my mind I still want to accomplish something with this but it costs so much damn money that I can't you know so kind of anyway but on the the true local thing, one thing that uh, just wanted to clarify, because I think that sometimes people get, um, not like I'm an expert in this thing, but there is a difference between grass-fed and grass-finished. So a lot of beef is grass-fed, but it's not grass-finished. Yeah. Exactly. So as long as people are aware of that. I love the grass-fed, grain-finished, even though I shouldn't. Right. And the reason I love grass-fed, grain-finished. Oh, fatty and sweet Yeah, and all it just that. tastes oh, so yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And the grass-fed, if it's pure grass-fed all the way through, it's going to be a little, yep. a little more, more meaty. Gamey. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Not as yeah, much fat. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and the other thing, if you're but really... But it's definitely the health benefits obviously oh, change it's dramat- way healthier. dramatically. Totally. 100%. Yeah. And if yeah. you're really, if you're really um, picky about it, you really have to also um, make sure that it's it's pasture raised because they're getting clever with the marketing now and now they're going to... grass fed, but it's not pastured? It's no, it's like grass pellets that they feed. No. Like, yeah. No. Yeah. So you got to be, you got to... Why gotta do really... you know this? You know some farmers who do this stuff? I've been visiting so many like... So they're feeding them grass pellets? No, I just know from, from like just learning about yeah, rural yeah, yeah. properties and how oh how God. you know and how that I always assumed grass-fed mean meant they were out on the pasture not necessarily anymore you know what I would love okay so here's my kind of whole beef with the beef industry yeah. is that I would love I would love and I know we're never going to get to this point or maybe we will at some point but if you buy some grass-fed uh, meat that is pastured yep. they're healthy animals out yep. on the pasture eating yep. and then they're grain finished and and uh, I 
you know, I don't know what percentage they are grain finished of their life. Like, are they grain finishing depends. for the last, what is it maybe like how old? It, so, yeah, it, go it on. could be, it could be 30 days, 60 days. I've okay. even heard some circumstances can be up to six months. To yeah. Eight. Okay. Like, so, so it's a marketing thing now where they're it saying just, it's pastured grass fed animals, grain finished. And if you're listening to this, wondering what grain finishing is basically before the animal is basically butchered up yep. um, and sold off, they, they feed the cow grain to fatten it up. Yeah, so in with cattle, you make your money on the weight. So they want to fatten them up to add weight on them so they can make more money from it. It's how, they, how the industry survives. So And it changes the health profile of yeah. the animal when it's fed that way yeah. because grains as far, you know, aren't the natural food for the cow. It changes the, changes the, the uh, nutrient profile of the cow when yeah. we eat it. Um, so you want full grass-fed kind of cows. And uh, I think the marketing on that is so kind of all over the place because some people will talk to me and say, well, Tom, I got some organic meat. And I always kind of laugh. This is what we talked about a little bit with the with on the True Local episode there is that organic meat, it could be organic because you could be feeding this cow organic grain. Uh-huh. It doesn't mean that the animal wants the grain or should be eating the grain. Correct. The, the cow should be eating grass. Yeah. But you can now call it organic and someone who doesn't know what they're doing is going to think that's a healthy piece of meat. Even though the the fact that it's labeled organic is almost meaningless, yeah. and it's probably less healthy than the one that was eating grass, maybe even these freaking grass pellets. Who knows? Well, so look, the, I mean, the whole the, industry has just kind of gone crazy. Yeah, the grass pellet thing is freaking me out now. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and it's and it's tough. And then even when I buy the grass fed meat for my own family and my kids will comment that it tastes different and stuff like that. Yeah. Like you definitely have to get used to it. Um, but it's just so much better for us. I just kind of stick with it, yeah. right? Yeah. But uh, but selfishly, if I do see something that says grass-fed, grain-finished, I just close my eyes a lot and say, oh, I hope this is still healthy, and I get it just because it tastes so wonderful. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I do that. And and uh, the other thing, um, it, when I'm at a steak place, and I, the menus still say this, that the steak is going to be, it's 100% grain-fed animal. Like, this is a positive thing. Constantly <laughs> freaks me out. Yeah. Constantly freaks me out. And more and more steakhouses now have grass-fed steak options. Um, and now I have to ask if it's, you know, if it's butchered and stuff. But the best thing is just going to local restaurants and talking to totally. the chefs. But but it's also, yeah, I mean, I don't think that the grass pellet thing is is that. Like, I think the vast majority of these, if someone says it's grass-finished, and I was on the True Local site and I read their, you know, I read their little thing. So it, they make the point of calling out that it is grass-finished. Grain-finished you know? or grass-finished? Grass-finished. Oh, got That's it. What okay, you want. so yeah. Yeah, 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 okay. So they're saying this yeah. is a grass-fed beef and it's grass-finished. Finished. Yeah, yeah, got so it. So again, if you just hear grass-fed, that doesn't give you the whole story. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. lots of a lot of beef is out on pasture in the beginning. You know, I'd say probably the vast majority, but I mean, I don't know that for a fact. Yeah, but, and it's a bit more yeah. expensive to obviously eat this way too. And uh, do you go to Charleston's next door here and ever eat from him? No, no. you've never been to Charleston's next door. Oh my Wh- God, which Charleston's is like an executive chef that's just like in this next building next across from the Home Depot. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, where you get the bone broth? Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, I've been in there. Sorry. Okay, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah he yeah. talks to the farmers and he makes these sliders, which are incredible. Yeah. And they're grass-fed, grass-finished yeah. beef. Yeah. And the sliders he makes there are amazing. Yeah, he makes all this kind of seed breads and stuff. Okay, He's, yeah. He does amazing things yeah. out of there. He's basically like an executive chef nice. that is cooking over there. Yeah. Um, so I, it, you can find options to eat really well, yeah. but you pay for it. It's expensive. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, it's expensive the way our food industry is set up. And that's it's not always convenient. 
You know, it's kind of difficult. We're always running around doing our stuff. You're not always going to get the best food yeah. options at all times. And again, that's why I thought True Local was such a good option. Yeah. I mean, we use it. I seem to, we seem to like it. Yeah. Um, do you ever do the ordering half a cow? You and Amy, there's two of you. You're not going to order half a cow. No. So I think last time we mentioned, we we hooked up with this. Uh, the guy came to my door from Nutrifarms and um, basically I got a year's worth of meat and they'll give you a freezer too if you don't have one. Now we had a freezer. So we ordered a year's worth of meat. It all came in like a gazillion boxes. And I was like, Oh damn. <laughs> so it didn't all fit. I had to, I had to hoof some over to my sisters to help out. Yeah. That's that. what Nick does in my house. Yeah. All the time. But when we've done, when we've split a cow before, when it all arrives, we lay everything out frozen yep. on the floor and kind of divide it all yep. up. It just, it wasn't convenient for me just cause I was getting so much uh, ground beef and so much stew meat Agreed. that like we just couldn't make that much stew. We're yeah. not a big stew. I love stew, but we're not just constantly making stews. Yeah. And that was the thing. Cause he said, okay, well how much of this do you, do you eat a week? And I'm like, Oh God, like, I don't know this much. What I like about true local, because I had to make the order for a full year. Right. And we got our order, I think in early August and, um, I didn't order enough. Like I, I don't, we're not going to make it the year. That's for sure. But the thing I like about True Local, it comes monthly, you know, and you can change it. And you can change that. The, you get an much, e yeah. I love it. You get yeah. an email about um, five days before the box ships for that yeah. month saying, hey, your box is about to ship if you yeah. want to make changes. And I'll log in. I'll like some months I'll up uh, load up on, on bone broth, yeah. decrease something else. We'll get the wild salmon. Yeah. We love the chicken breasts. Um, I want to try the chicken thighs. We haven't tried the chicken thighs. So I love that kind of yeah. mix and match kind of yeah. option. And yeah. I just think we're supporting local farms because they're going to all the local farmers. Yeah. So I just feel like we're we're basically using the Amazon method where we just get boxes arriving, but now it's boxes of meat. Yeah. And and I'm, I feel like I'm supporting local farmers, which mm -hmm. kind of just that whole aspect of it seems right to me as well. Oh, you just feel better too. You don't, you don't, as much as you, you it's delicious, so you do end up eating a lot, but you don't you don't need to eat as much, and you still feel like not hungry because you're the, just getting so much more. That's the biggest thing satisfied. since I've changed yeah. my diet. I just don't snack. Yeah, I don't get hungry. Yeah, um, I eat more fat than I used to eat, and everyone's gonna like debate whether that's a right r yeah. right or wrong. But just cutting out some of the the grains that I was eating wasn't keeping me full. Yeah, like I still eat some, but I cut it out so much that I think my main it, my main grain I guess would be rice. Um, is rice a grain? Rice a grain. Yes. So. I think so. Yeah. I, I, um, so that's the only, I think rice in the brain too. Um, that's the only one that I'm, I'm eating right now. I just feel better the way I'm eating yeah. with more fat. It's more satiating. I'm interested when you said Amy's uh, family was in town. Um, are they still living in South Africa? Zambia. Sorry, Zambia. Yeah, I know everyone says, that. I don't know why yeah. I keep saying, but therefore <laughs> they live in Zambia. When they come yep. to Canada and go visit Alberta, like what are their thoughts on Canada? So you live oh, in they Zambia. Love, they love Canada. Yeah. yeah. What, oh yeah. What, like, what, what is it? Um, well, it's probably like, um, you know, uh, you know, we, we went down to, to Chile and Patagonia and, and, and so when you go to a different place that just looks different, it's like, everything is beautiful, you know? Um, but I mean, Canada is a beautiful country. Um, but yeah, going, going out West, um, they don't have mountains like that. They've got like kind of these small green kind of rolling mountain things, but, um, would they so, ever yeah. consider moving to Canada? Yeah, we're trying to convince them to 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 buy a property here so they can they can spend the summers here and the winters back home. Um, and what is this uh, the way of life in Zambia right now? Like very what? laid back. It's yeah. a very and laid standard back of place. living. Uh, I would well, it's a third world country for sure. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, standard of living is still I would say 
there's a there's a there's like the they call them the compounds you know uh and then there's you know i guess what's the what's the right so the compounds where you're living on you have walls and barbed wire and that kind of stuff The, the compounds are are where um the local people live that are probably well that are very poor yeah got it um and um so you know then there's the modern sections um you know there her family's in the mining business so there's whole just areas of the town that they live in that are yeah, you sure. Know, yeah, just, yeah. If you've just never the way been to goes. a third world yeah, country, yeah. I mean, it seems shocking when you see it. But that's, I don't want to say normal like that's a good thing, but that's unfortunately how third world countries yeah. are. And if you've born, you're born in Canada and you've never seen this, you think we have some rough areas maybe in Canada and we have no rough areas in this country. That's what makes this country so great and yeah. why we, have, as much yeah. as we complain and I can complain about our, yeah. our, our uh, selfie uh, prime minister and, you know, do what he does and what he doesn't do. Overall, Canada is so fantastic. Like, I'm proud. I'm so proud to be Canadian. Totally. We talk about our, our parents are obviously immigrants. Our father's from yeah. Croatia. Our mother's from Scotland. Yeah. Um, we're proud Canadians. Yeah. And I tell everybody we're Canadian. Like, I'm, don't, don't get me wrong. Zambia is a great country. It's laid back. It's safe. Sure, there's petty crime like in lots of countries. But when you, what I found interesting was um, you have the compounds that are in the cities, um, you know, in, in, in certain areas. But it's those people that have come from the countryside that feel like maybe they're going to find more opportunity or I'm not sure what draws them to the city. Yeah, um, well, jobs, income, I'm sure. I guess, but... Um, and, you know, it's, it's just like anywhere. There's different sort of uh, class structures, for lack of a better word, yeah, you know, well, or income levels of people, yeah. you know. So, um, but when we were driving out to uh, to a game park um, and driving through the countryside and and seeing how the, the people lived in the countryside, and they didn't have much, like they had their their couple cows or whatever, and they were plowing the field, and they had their crops, and then they had their, like, their huts and whatever, to me, I would have way rather lived that life than decided to come into town and live in in yeah, the compounds. Yeah, totally. Which but I is, think it's grass is always greener too. Like I when guess, you're w- yeah. living that way of life, you think you have nothing, and you're like, "Oh, I'm going to go into the city. You're going to leave my family. I'm going to make yeah. it on my own." Everyone's kind of, especially I think males kind of have that thought. Like, I need to get away from my family. Yeah, kind of do things on my own. They come to the city, and then they realize after working for many years, like we're talking about here, we just want to go back to I the know. land. Yeah. <laughs> And the, but the kids were like all smiling and, you know, they, they, you know, everyone just seemed like running around happy and, you yeah. know, obviously it's not an no, easy no. life, but, uh, I, you know. I, this is what I tell my father all the time. I said, Hey, look, you know, you did us a great service. We were so fortunate. You met our mother here in this great country of Canada and stuff. And when I look, but, but when I look back at some cousins who are in Croatia, um, some of them have houses that have been in the family. They're not in the cities. Yeah. Uh, and they're, you know. They're well out of the city, but they have houses that have been in the family for generations. So they're living in these houses. They have no mortgages, right? How much money do you, if you have no property taxes in that country, they have no property tax. If you have no property taxes and you have no mortgage, JP, how much money do you and I need to live? Right. Really? Right. So they have no mortgage, no property tax. Think about that. 
from day one. But then they go out and do some work and everyone kind of has their coffee and complains about the country. And I get it. And when I go there, I get into the politics and complain (laughs) how the tourist industry is the only industry and everything else is garbage and it's getting destroyed and the whole bit. But when I really look back and uh, sit back and look at it, I'm like, wait a second. They have no mortgage payments. They have no property tax payments. And there's negatives that come along with that. But the standard of living that some of these guys are living is they're working like, they're not working that many hours a day. And the downfall is there's not that many jobs. There's basically no economy there. So there's a lot of negative aspects to this. I get it. But the ones who are able to survive there, I don't know. I yeah. think they're living a pretty good life. The, the, but the only thing, and I, I, I run this scenario in my head, what you've just described, but the other thing that I really love and I would, it would, would hate to miss would be travel. And it takes money to travel. It takes money. You and know. so many of them haven't left the country. Yeah. They have so many of them haven't been to Italy, which is like right next door. Right. Yeah, I get it. So, and there's downfalls of medical attention, right? Like they have a good medical system there and everyone's getting what they need, but it's not as good as that one that I consider they have here. Yeah. People will argue with me on this point thinking a lot of older men will and women will go over there because uh, they'll get dentures for like half the price. Sure. That they'll get them over here. Yeah. So you can kind of argue that either way. Um, Nick, actually, when it was over there, his wife needed a, she was, um, it was earlier on in a pregnancy and she needed a little bit of attention. She got great like leading edge medical treatment over there. Yeah. So, um, you know, maybe I'm wrong and they are actually getting uh, good medical treatment. When I was over there as a kid, I felt first day of like a six week trip over there for one of our summer trips. I jumped off a rock wall into a rose bush in oh the middle of the night because we were playing like hide and go seek, like yeah. right into the massive rose bush, <sighs> right into the middle of yeah. a rat. So I walked out with thorns all over my forehead, <laughs> my face. And I guess when I fell, one went deep in my hand. Broke and they, off. It broke off in my hand. Yeah. They took me to the doctor there after a few days of just letting it ooze blood and yeah. it wouldn't stop. And the doctor put a knife in my hand and tried to flick it out. Oh God. And as he was flicking it out, he was smoking a cigarette <laughs> and the cigarette was just hanging out of his <laughs> mouth and he was, and no oh, painkiller. And I was just uh, like, ah, uh. yeah, flicking it out. And the crazy part is when I came back to Canada, this doctor here in Mississauga did the exact same thing without the cigarette. Oh, Stuck a knife for it and he tried to flick it out. Ended up having to go to sick uh, hospital in Toronto. It wasn't sick kids, I don't believe, for surgery to get this thing removed after months being in my hand. Yeah. So that's, I guess, the image of the medical system I have over yeah. there. So I'm sure it's a lot better now. Well, speaking of uh, metal, bit of a segue here, but uh, game changer for me has been uh, for the winter, cold showers. You're yeah. doing them regularly? Yeah. Every and, morning? Uh I do them multiple times a week. Yes. It depends if I'm in a rush. So I'll Full do it at the cold, end. No hot water. Yeah, no. For how long? Uh, maybe a minute and a half. Really? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I, okay, there's one more thing. And I was going to ask you this. I don't know if I'm just like dumb, but like up until last year, I didn't wear long johns in the winter. Oh yeah. No, I never wear long johns. Man. I only wear long johns now recently because Carol, Carol has trained me to be cold in the winter. I never used to know that you could be that warm. Oh, it's amazing when your legs are warm. It's like, oh man, I can do anything. And then with the cold showers, it's like, you, you, I don't know. I just, the cold hasn't been affecting me as much. And I used to hate the winter, Yeah. but the feeling after a cold shower is great. I've yeah. only done the cold. You're doing them all winter. Yeah. All, all year. Are you doing cold showers now? Yeah. I like sometimes I'll forget to do them, yeah, but so yeah. I'll go in cycles. But right now I'm on a kick where I do that multiple times a week. It just depends if I'm really rushed. Cause I'll do it at the end of the shower. First I'll get it really hot. And then I'll, I'll do like a little Wim yeah, Hof yeah. breathing kind of thing. And then uh, that allows me to then crank it cold. And then I focus on the breathing. And yeah, you try to control yourself. Yeah, because basically you're, you're 
essentially what I do is I hyper oxygenate my blood to the point where I have my eyes closed and I sort of see stars and you feel a little woozy from taking such so yeah, much yeah, breath. Yeah. But yeah, I've you, done you, it. You're dizzy. Yeah. You so, feel like you're dizzy. Yeah, like so if gonna... you just focus on that, I just move around. Don't pass out in the shower. No, no, no. I know enough to, to, to like breathe normal, but that, the sh- that allows you to sort of focus on that rather than the cold water. And yeah. And after your body's just like tingling, you just feel amazing. Yeah. So when I do the cold showers, it's usually when we get back from Europe, because when we jump in the Adriatic there, the water's pretty cold. cold yeah. So I get used to, and I love it. Yeah. Like I love jumping into the cold water. Like yeah. I feel energized. Yeah. from. So when I come back here to kind of mimic that, I do cold showers, but it lasts like two weeks. And after two weeks, I kind of just <laughs> chicken out and it gets warmer and warmer. Yeah. But whenever I'm doing it, I feel good. And you know what else I feel really good is we have a hot tub at my house when I, I hate using it in the summer, but in the winter, oh, yeah. we crank the hot tub, but I love going from the cold when I walk from the house yeah. into that hot water and then out of the hot water into the freezing yeah. cold air. I just love, love it. I love this. I feel like my immune system is benefiting more from the cold aspect, which is just a few seconds yeah. um, versus sitting in the hot water. Like I feel the cold is really helping me. I just feel a lot. Uh, I feel like my body's alive in those moments. I sounds, I know how sad and ridiculous that sounds, but uh, I get a similar feeling totally. and I want to get back to the cold showers too. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know what it is. I just constantly have been chicken out. I got to do this. I got, yeah, I I want, I, with a bunch of us, I should start a challenge of some sort with us where we go like a month cold showers and see you. It sounds like you're going to do it. No problem. But I, but but I don't, I don't just jump in cold. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. I do it at the end. That's fine though. I think that's fine. Okay. And how long are you holding the cold shower for you think? Probably about a minute and a half. I'm up to. Yeah. Yeah, Got it. Got it. It's getting easier and easier. It is. Especially it's easier because I turn it right before I I get, I, I put it even hotter than I would normally shower and I just try to take it till my body's like ah, I can't take it and then I go to the cold and that seems to I don't know why. I can buy yeah. into that but the long john thing so like in the winter now you're putting on long johns well that's the thing I'm too lazy man I'm not gonna put on long johns you, you know what for well and also being at the stables like it's it's helped. aren't you hot driving oh, okay in the stables yeah I was gonna say driving around in the car and stuff though yeah and I my thought of long johns growing up was like my dad's like yeah I know saggy they've gotten like, pretty from advanced. 1970s I know. you know and I'm like no, yeah, these they're are basically great. Like sport athletic yeah. wear yeah. now yeah yeah so I was like, oh man, these are awesome, you know? <laughs> so I, I am completely converted to the Are long you uh, bulletproof coffee still? Mm-hmm. You still are. Yeah. Huh. I started a week It's easy week. to get now. You can get it at so many places. Whole Foods. Yeah. It's like it's on yeah. sale. Yeah. Um, Whole Foods will make it for you. They don't, they don't just sell the beans and the MCT oil and stuff, they'll make it. Oh, really? Yeah. Like yeah make, I've never bought one from there. Okay. Yeah. You could just get a cup of bulletproof coffee. So I'm just doing straight espressos now, my two espresso shots in the morning. I'm I, I'm convinced I might be making the best espresso shots, <laughs> seriously, on the west side of Toronto. I'm, I'm not joking. I'm my espresso right now. Oh, my gosh. But uh, I'm on a week of decaf because I had okay. about eight weeks of coffee. So yeah. I'm going through one week of decaf. And yeah. I never drink decaf coffee, but I got this one. I'm not going to mention the brand yet till I have it for a whole week. I have some really good beans right now. Oh, yeah? Really good beans. Next time you're on, I'll tell you about the beans. Really clean coffee. And the decaf is good. I drink their other coffee. And, and why do you drink the decaf? Is it just because you really like the coffee? No, just reading some stuff that was just saying that my adrenal glands... No, could, no, not that. But oh. actually, like why drink... If you Are you drinking the oh, decaf because yeah. you just like the taste yeah, of the I coffee? Yeah, love the coffee. Okay, got it. Yeah, okay. yeah I love the coffee. Okay. And I also don't think I'm getting enough bitters in my life. I'm pretty sure my coffee counts as a bitter. Okay. Um, so just from a nutrition okay. point of view. Like I really don't think in my diet I'm eating that many bitters. 
Right. And I just know that when I go to other places in the world, their diets are just so much more diverse than in North America. And I could use more just straight up bitters in my life. And I'm classifying probably incorrectly. Someone's going to tell me, but I was classifying espresso as being a bitter, a coffee as being a bitter. So I wanted to have, I wanted to continue to have it. I like the taste. I like the ritual of it. I like smelling it, looking at it, talking about how great it is, looking at my crema. I love everything to do with the (laughs) coffee. You don't understand when people come to my house for coffee right now, it's like a production. I'm showing them me, I'm pouring in the water talking about the italian water i'm in my espresso machine i don't put in the tap water i don't even put in filtered water i have italian water that i'm pouring. oh my god yeah i'm man. pouring in the italian water i got my pure beans everybody gets the whole story on the beans i'll talk about the beans and soon the beans <laughs> i talk about i've tested every every sort of grind from the coarse to the fine grind yeah. and then i'll go to starbucks and i'll get their beans and i'll put them in and i'll test them against the beans that i'm using and it takes a while right because if you you for, if you're going to test it with tap water and then maybe purified water reverse osmosis or something like that and then just kind of like an italian bottled water and then you t- you test all the grinds man you're drinking a lot of coffee yeah no kidding so uh yeah the week of decaf's just more a little bit like let the coffee go for a week but continue the ritual hmm. yeah i'm loving it cool. but and you're one cup of bulletproof in the, uh, in the morning no i'm probably two cups at least two yeah and then are you having another cup throughout the day uh probably okay so you're doing three yeah. cups of coffee yeah but it, it depends it depends on on what's going on you're walking day. around with the coffee in a thermos yeah, I've got a, my Yeti uh, tumbler, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So you have it two cups in the morning and then you walk out of the house with a cup? Uh, y- yes. Okay. Yeah. Most days. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you don't feel that's too much? Oh, it probably is. Yeah. Yeah, it probably is probably way too much, but uh, I'm an addict. What can I say? Have you <laughs> tested your adrenal glands? Just no, to see you're probably screwed. No, I don't think yeah. so. Just talking to you. I, I think you're probably pretty good. You think? I think so. I Do you have know. energy problems in the morning without your coffee? Like, do you need the coffee? No. Uh, no. I mean, I like it because it's it's a like, just it's like a comfort thing, and I really like it. Um, I would probably like at if it was a couple hours and like I haven't had a coffee, I'd probably be like, damn, I just really want a coffee, you know. Um, but if I was like, if I woke up and I usually just chug a bunch of water and wake up, if I was like thrown into something where I got really busy and I didn't think about it, I wouldn't notice it, but. It's more probably the habit of drinking it in the morning rather than needing it. But if I don't you're know. craving I don't through, know. If the, through the day, if you're thinking about the coffee, uh, maybe, maybe, there you go. May, maybe, you like I said, could go probably. easier. But yeah. listen, uh, why are you drinking the water in the morning like that? The, like, I'm pretty convinced that's a really good thing. I'm just curious. Yeah, I fa- I've just found that that that's actually um, that wakes me up probably faster. Just a glass of water or lemon water? Are you no, putting any just, salt in the water? No, no. Just a big cup of water. No, uh, like I have one of those like metal swell bottles that I just fill yeah. up and I'll just try to chug the whole thing just to get the organs and everything kind of, okay. you know, fluids okay. in your system. You know what I'm saying? This I've been going through this book all about your liver. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I read this. I'm going through this whole book. I think it's like 500 pages. And basically, I'm, I'm almost finished this freaking book. Yeah. And uh, I think I can summarize the whole book by saying if we all have a glass of water in the morning with a little bit of lemon in it, that's the best thing we could do for our liver. But it's taking me like 500 pages to figure this out. But what, what if I took a vitamin C? Would it be the same thing? It doesn't really. I don't know. In this book, I mean, I'm not no medical doctor, okay. but this book doesn't talk about vitamin C. No, it talks about how the liver's working. All Apparently, our livers turn on at like three or four in the morning. Like it knows it, it, our livers get to know our sleeping patterns. Okay. I'm speaking out of turn here. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm just going off of what I read in this book. Yeah. But uh, our livers get to know our 
patterns in life and specifically our sleeping patterns um, and our eating patterns. And so like if it knows if you just get hammered on alcohol once right. a week, it knows like Friday, Saturday's coming up. It's kind of got to get ready for oh, that. Really? Yeah, yeah. Our livers are like smart that way. Huh. And uh, at three or four in the morning, again, everyone do your own research on this stuff. But at three or four in the morning, your liver kind of wakes up. So it goes to sleep when you go to sleep, kind of rest. But it wakes up and starts like detoxing your blood. And then when you, by the time you've woken up, there's a lot of toxins that have been flushed out of your blood. And I, I can't remember if it's flushed out of your blood and it's in your liver or your liver's got it out of its, uh, it's not in the liver anymore. Either way, when you wake up, a lot of this detoxification has happened and having a glass of water with some lemon in it really flushes those toxins that the liver has been working mm. hard to flush out completely out of your system in some manner. Mm. And I'm right at the point that's explaining what the water, like what it's, what the water itself's doing. Um, but the whole idea is that just one glass of water every morning with a little bit of lemon in it is like the best detox you could do for yourself and your liver. Then I'll just put some lemon in. I, yeah. I'm not completely done the book. Let me get to <laughs> sure. the very end where it says, Look, oh, man, you're I'm sure it's, yeah, but you're totally I, right. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I just feel like when I wake up in the morning, I don't really feel like just downing water. I almost feel like I'll get nauseous. Oh, really? I don't know. I have a smoothie that with no problem, but just water right when I get up. Yeah. I don't know. I got to try. I haven't tried it. Hmm. And then I don't want to get in the lemon water. I'm like, oh, I was going to just go cheap on it and get the, you know, the lemon that's already squeezed in the little lemon yeah. looking plastic things. But then I read it and it's like, even if you get an organic one, it's like the ingredients are organic lemon juice, something else and sulfites. Oh yeah. It's just, and I'm like, yeah. oh my God, there's preservatives in yeah. this organic freaking lemon. So now I got to squeeze the lemons myself. And now if you're telling me my grass fed beef might be grass pellets, <laughs> and, uh, you know, well, how about and your, know wine, why, but, your red wine is, well, no, now I'm drinking organic oh, wines. Yeah. Well, no, first of all, I can't tell my father that i'm drinking any bottled wine because his wine that he makes is the best oh, wine okay. yeah. but then the i'm drinking organics wine just to get rid of the sulfites as much as yeah. i can't possibly can because it's yeah. going to be naturally occurring sulfites but there's not going to be any inserted to right. stop the cooking process right. and preserve it and yeah. stuff and i just i find for my body without the sulfites i enjoy the wine a lot more sure i bought this sulfite filter Can okay I tell you about this thing no yeah i bought this filter that you can put on top of a wine glass or a decanter and you pour your red oh, wine through really? it it'll aerate the wine and strip out it's a bunch of the sulfites. It's a chemical, a guy, a PhD in chemistry out of Chicago. His aunt was having trouble with sulfites and he put this thing together. So I have okay, no idea have if it's, I, yeah, yeah. yeah, I have no idea if it's yeah. actually, I think it's called ULO. I think it's U-U-L-O or something like that, ULO. Hmm. Um, so I don't know if it's actually stripping out the sulfites, but that's what I'm doing with it. Cool. JP, what's the URL again? It is the don't get in trouble with Amy. Give the URL out. Thecountryhomeguide.com. Thecountryhomeguide.com. So you can guide. go there. Yeah, so G-U-I-D-E. Sorry, yep. thecountryhomeguide.com. That's right. You can go there, and then that's going to outline, if you're looking at any sort of rural property and you've never done this before, like myself. Yeah, it's going to give you a load of information on different price points of rural properties uh, in southern Ontario, and then all sorts of information on um, what you would need to think about when you're when you're considering this yeah cool and then um with real estate investors locally mm -hmm. actually next time i'm going to ask you more about that stuff are there any cities right now you're most active in uh right now so non-rural i'm talking about yep, income producing yep. rental so, properties. so right now you know the uh, stuff that you do a lot of that we yeah. didn't talk about at yeah. all yeah that stuff <laughs> uh yeah uh, just still heavy in the niagara area and london i'm probably the most active you've yeah you've been in london for a few years yeah. now you're still liking london i've been in london for let's second set the record straight here i started london just kidding. i think you but started yeah, no, london did, yeah you hit st <laughs> Catharines from all of us I know. 
Um, okay, so London for, yeah, I feel like six, seven years you've been doing yeah. stuff in London. Yeah. How's the appreciation rates in London? Though? Oh, it's gone crazy there. It, in the beginning, it wasn't so much. It was like St. Catharines it was, or, or maybe a little bit better early on. But yeah, just like um, maybe probably in the last three years or so, three, four years, whenever that big push was, that happened in London. So, what too. are you buying in? What kind of property are you buying in London? Um, so, single-family homes for depending again if the investor is from the area and wants to purchase there, um, or it could be you know student rentals are definitely where I most most student rental deals that I do are in London. Um, Western. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of steer clear of of Fanshawe, but um, that's not to say it's a bad thing, but just um. You like the population base of Western? Is that why? I like the whole setup with the university students as opposed to the college students for... for and you like the property managers out there for investors who are like Toronto-based? Yes. Yeah, the whole huh. system out there, and they can get a good product. Okay, so when yeah. you're on next, we're going to dive into yeah, this yeah. more. Yep. JP, Cool. thank you for this, man. Thank that you. was fun. All right. Hey, it's Tom Crads, and hopefully you enjoyed that episode. JP, like I mentioned, is such a great guy. Hopefully that came through during that episode. He is one of the coaches here at Rockstar. Um, he's been working with hundreds of investors at this point. Just a really solid stand-up guy. Um, and uh, if you are thinking about investing in real estate and you want to you know, meet JP or work with one of the members of the team here at Rockstar, one of the best ways to get started is to come out to our free class to learn the, what we do and how we do it. You can register for that at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. So that's www canadianrealestatetraining.com it's only a 90 minute class but from what i've been told we jam more content into that than anyone expects and we share all our mistakes that we've made over the years the successes as well obviously but all the the things that we've done that we wish we never did so that we can all learn together and then what we're doing and, and how we're working with investors today here at rockstar so you can register for that class at canadianrealestatetraining.com and the reason that we ask you to register is our training room is only so big so we can't just have people show up we need you to register the class is always jam-packed um, so if you register it's the best place to do it is canadianrealestatetraining.com and then jenny or angelina here from the office will call you confirm the dates confirm your spot and the whole bit thanks for all the feedback uh really appreciate the reviews that are coming in the ratings on itunes thank you so much for doing that we really really appreciate it, it really kind of fuels us to do more of these so thank you to everyone who's done that and if you haven't had a chance to do that yet and you think we've earned it if you could go off to itunes and give us a rating and a review or, or, or both um, that would be amazing so thank you for everyone who's done that we really appreciate it thank you for everyone listening that's it for this episode until next time your life your terms